What a glorious day, morning of worship. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Jerry. I invite you to open your Bible today to Luke's Gospel. We are in chapter 15 today. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 15. It's so good to be in God's house. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. You know, this is the the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. God's got a word for you. God's got a word for me. And if you don't believe that, then I'm sorry for your wayward condition. And listen, God's word always speaks. It never returns void. It's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I know will speak to your heart. And uh, unless your heart is cold and calloused and hardened by sin, I pray not, that's not the case today. And so whisper your, simply whisper these words, Lord, speak to my heart today. I'm listening. I know that you have a word for me today. Now, today we're going to look into God's word together. I hope that you're reading with us. Stay with the reading plan. It's online. You can pick one up in the foyer. And it's reading a chapter every day, five days a week, catch up on the weekends. And then we'll be preaching from one of those passages of Scripture. Today, I've chosen the 15th chapter in one of the most beloved stories, and I think one of the greatest chapters in all of God's Word. And uh, here we hear the heart of the Father told in these parables, and we're going to look at them, uh, one of them that we're very familiar with today, and it's found in chapter number 15, and we'll begin in verse number 11. But before we open God's Word, Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you now in Jesus' strong and powerful name. And Father, I pray that this message today would not fall on deaf or hardened ears and hardened hearts. And I pray that today that we'll be receptive to hear your word fresh and spirit of God. I cannot bring any conviction today nor comfort But Lord, only you do that. Lord, you use your word. You've ordained it so. And Father, you use your word to confront us and convict us and to comfort us, to strengthen us and to guide us in the right path. So Father, I pray that today that we would hear you and Holy Spirit of God, we're asking you to do business in our hearts and lives. Lord, we need you. Lord, I don't want to go through just another Sunday, another day, where we just go through motions, but we're never changed. And I pray that today, you'll do a changing work in our hearts. And I pray that Christ would be magnified, and your love revealed. And that our sin will be seen for all the ugliness that it is. And that, God, we might turn back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of things about inventions and conveniences of this world that I'm grateful for in this life. And one of those is a button on my phone or in my car that says home in maps. 
So no matter how confused or turned around I get, I can hit the home button and it directs me how to get home. You know, that little button has saved many marriages from navigation, one navigating, the other driving, because it helps you to get home. But how do we get home spiritually? What is the road back home? Jesus lays this out in Luke's gospel, chapter number 15. You see, all of us have a longing for home. We've all strayed away. We feel the insecurity of lostness. We feel anger that there's no way to find true home. But God has sent Jesus Christ to bring us home. I think there's a hidden memory in all of mankind for place, for a perfect place, for a pure place, for a loving place, and a place where I belong, a place where I'm wanted, where I'm valued, and where my life has meaning. You see, we're all longing for Eden. And today we explore one of the great chapters in all the Bible, one of the most beloved stories of Jesus. It is masterfully crafted. People have studied this from every angle and the power and the impact and the beauty and the mastery with which it is told is unbelievable. But it's not just a story. It's our story. So if you look with me to the 15th chapter today, and we're going to begin with verse number 11. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had, And traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, (coughs) Jay's going to finish reading this text, all right? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you have never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we look at this familiar story today, thank you, Brother Jay. As we look at this familiar story, I want us to look at three things. I want us to look at the one that left, the son that left. Secondly, I want us to look at the one who stayed home. And thirdly, I want us to look at the father who loved both. And so let's look at this story together. First of all, the one that left home. This is the younger son, verse 12 to 13. He asked for his inheritance now. He's impatient. It's a very shameful act. If you don't know this, in the first century world, this would be an incredibly shameful act. It would be an ultimate disrespect for the father. To say, Father, I want what's coming to me now before you die. I can't wait around for you to croak off. Give me mine now. And exactly that's what the father did. He Actually, most first century people would have said that kind of disrespect means that that son ought to be bit, beaten, disciplined, and cast out of the business. But no, this is not what the father does. Notice the father brings both sons in. He divides his assets. He divides it between them. The older will get a double portion, being the firstborn. The second will get us another portion. He will get his portion, what's coming to him. And notice it's burning a hole in his pocket, and he can't wait to spend it and go out and pursue what he wants to pursue. So it says not many days later. What does he do? He gathers all that he has. Doesn't gather some of it. He gathers it all. Everything that he has, he's never planning to return. And he leaves the father And he leaves his brother, and he travels to a distant land, and the Bible says he squanders it in foolish living. The New American Standard says loose living. The King James Version says prodigal living. It means wasteful. And so this is his leaving. Notice how he leaves. As we think about that, what causes a person to leave home? Often I think people leave home because they feel pushed out or they're lured out. Either they're pushed out or lured out. And this young man was not pushed out. There's no indication of that. But instead, he's lured out. What is he lured out by? 
he was lured out by this own internal restlessness in his soul. You see, deep within his person was a craving, and the craving was for something more, more happiness, more pleasure, more fulfillment. Not only that, I think he has a bad case of FOMO, the fear of missing out. There's something out there in that world that he wants to pursue. Great big world. I'm stuck on this small farm. I want to go to the city and find life. I think really at the heart of all of it is rebellion. Rebelling against his father's authority, against his father's rule, and his father's life. He is against the father. He's self-deceived. Sin always deceives us. Sin always tricks us. Sin always lies to us. Israel played the harlot with the world. That playing the harlot with the world is demonstrated and dramatically played out in the life of Hosea and his wife Gomer with her worldly idols and worldly deviant sexual behavior, indulgent, And yet in the end, she finds herself leaving her family, enslaved, penniless, and a whore on a slave-trading block. But this is the very nation that had turned his back on God. And he brings them back home to him. Satan lies to us. He's an enemy. He's against you. Satan is never for you. He's always against you. He hates you and he hates God. Satan is a thief. He's a liar. And uh, he doesn't tell you the truth. He deceives you. Let me say this about sin. Listen closely. Sin takes you further than you meant to stray. It will keep you longer than you meant to stay. And it will cost you more than you meant to pay. This is what sin does. So what does he pursue? He's pursuing the world. The Bible has something to say about that, doesn't it? Listen to 1 John chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is what he's pursuing, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, the lust of the flesh. And what is it doing? It's leading him away from the Father and so he, he, in these temporary lusts, he's partying and spending his inheritance wastefully. But then this crisis occurs. He goes to a far-off country, and a famine comes into the land, and he's after he's spent everything. He has nothing, and no one will give him anything. And this is exactly what this evil one does. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, and that life abundant. He attaches himself to a citizen of the country. He becomes servant help to him. 
most like a Gentile. Now he's serving and feeding the pigs and longing even to eat what they're eating. And he, he returns because he comes to himself because in the midst of the crisis, when he's absolutely broken, he has no money, he has no resources, he has no friend, and he has no one who'll give him anything, he comes to the end of himself and he says to himself, in my father's house, there are many servants there that live better than this. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be your son. But if you would take me in as one of your hired hired servants, I would work for you in that regard. He rehearses his lines, and he gets up, and he goes, and that is repentance. It is repentance and turning from sin and turning toward God. And the Bible says, godly sorrow brings true repentance. The Bible says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The Bible says, repent therefore and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and seasons of refreshing may come from the Lord. I'm telling you, that's the beginning of the work of salvation. Now folks, listen to me. The father let his son go. It broke the father's heart to watch his son leave. The father let the son fail. And there are some of us that need to learn that lesson. Loving your child does not mean that you go and rescue them every time they're on the verge of failure. And sometimes what needs to happen is this crisis of failure. And in the failure, when you come to the end of yourself, you have nowhere to go but to God. Some of you have been there. And so he returns home, and all the way home, he's thinking about how the father might receive him and how he might be treated and how whether or not the father would even reject him. And as all the way home, he's rehearsing his lines. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Would you take me to be a slave? See the father's love. And while he was still a long way off, the father, in an undignified manner, gets up and runs to his son. And as he's running to him, he comes and he wraps his arms around him. He kisses him and he, he welcomes him home and rejoices and puts his arms around his neck. And he starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He stops him. And he said, get the best robe in my house and put it on my boy. And they put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And let's kill the fatted calf and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he's been found. And they all celebrated. What a joyful, beautiful picture of God's grace. I don't know how far you've roamed. I don't know what all you've done. And I don't know where you've been. But I know one thing. The grace of God is deeper than your sin. And he can cleanse you from all of your sin. I've wandered far away from God. 
now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years, now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears, Lord, I'm coming home. I've tired of sin and strain, Lord, now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word, Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home. This is the prayer of this young man. Everybody was rejoicing on the ranch, save one. The second part of the story is critically important. It is a critical, important turn in the story. You see, Luke chapter 15, in the first verse, says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes, they were complaining and welcomed sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. And he tells the parable about things that were lost and found and about the rejoicing when that valuable thing was found. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. But the Pharisees and scribes could not rejoice because sinners were hanging out with Jesus and fellowshipping and eating with him. And they were being healed and restored, but there was no joy in them. And I think the second part of this story is about that attitude. Notice the one that stayed home. Now his older brother was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing. Must not have been a Baptist home. He summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here. And your father, he slaughtered the fattened calf. Now, the fattened calf is only slaughtered for high and festive moments. You fatten the calf to celebrate it for one of the great moments of festivity. And the Father has called a feast for everybody. And he's welcomed him back safe and sound. In verse 28, you would expect in the story the older brother to rejoice and go find his brother and his father and rejoice with them. But here's the turn. Notice how masterfully this is told. He became angry. He didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Notice the resentment that he has. Why is he so angry? He's angry that his brother returned? Seriously? How angry is he at his brother? He's angry because the father received him? Really? 
How angry is he at his father? His father has called for a feast and that makes him mad? Why? I submit to you because he resists, he resents his brother and he resents his father. Listen to his anger and his indictment, his judgment. And then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. And he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. And I've never disobeyed your commands. No, not one of them. Yet you never gave me a goat, a kid, that I could celebrate with my friends. Anybody want to notice the eyes and mys in here? I have been, I have never disobeyed. You never gave me that I could celebrate with my friends. It's all about him, isn't it? Notice the grudge that he's harboring toward his dad. Verse 30. Now listen to these words and watch the language. This son of yours. Not my brother, your son devoured your assets. That's true. With prostitutes. I don't know, he just made that part up because it doesn't say that anywhere else in the Bible. That's probably what he would have done. You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Notice him pleading with him. Notice how judgmental he is. He's judging the father. He's indicting the father. He judges his brother. This is what judgmentalism will do to you. Negativity. Criticism of others. Putting on the lens of negativity and judgmental of others. See, he pretends. Now, I'm telling you, the spirit of the elder brother can get in a church so fast. He pretends to be with the Father, but his heart is far from him. Amen. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're in a far country too. You see, when you don't value what the Father values, then you won't rejoice. And when you can't or won't rejoice in the Father's love, then you're not in alignment with the Father. Amen. God has demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you stayed home, but your heart is in a far country of its own. And so you're in the famine of your own soul, soul. And this world is all about your ideas, your judgments, your values, what you think is fair or just. And you resent the Father's authority. You resent the Father's love and mercy. And because of that, you refuse to go in and enter into the joy of your brother's salvation. I submit to you, you can attend services, you can lead a class, you can volunteer your time, 
You can be a member of the church for a long, long time, but if the spirit of the elder brother gets in you, you'll be empty and grouchy and critical and judgmental, and the anger will overflow in your words, and your worship will be empty of joy and empty of power. N.T. Wright tells a story about a poem that was written by a friend of his, and the poem was about a man who worked in a beautiful park, and he was a, a keeper of the garden, and his job, part of his job, was to pick up the trash that might be in the park. And so he's working in the midst of flowers and grasses and trees and beauty and smell and color and bees and birds and glory. And he wrote this line in the poem, destroys the nature in the park litter. And he has a stick with a nail in it, picks up the trash. Destroys the nature in the park Litter. And then the line in the poem says, He said without lifting his head. Destroys the nature in the park, litter. Without lifting his head. All he could see in the middle of the garden was trash. The older brother could see nothing but trash in his younger brother, but he couldn't see the garden of God's grace as he was redeeming him and restoring him. Finally, the father's love for both of these. He welcomes the son, the prodigal, and restores him as a son. He pleads with the older son. Now listen to the words of the father's pleading to the older son. Notice in chapter number 15, it says, <clears throat> verse 31, son, literally it says child, my boy, my son, my child. It's a tender word. He's pleading. You're always with me. I'm present with you. And everything I have is yours. Listen to me, son. He, everything, I've already divided the assets. Everything. Everything I have. It's yours. All that's left is yours. And notice then he begins to plead with him to be restored to his brother. But we, you and I, we had to celebrate and rejoice. Why? Because it's not just the son of mine, it's the brother of yours. Your brother. He was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Isn't this a beautiful story? 
He's pleading with him to rejoice. All of heaven is rejoicing. When the shepherd finds a lost sheep, he searches and searches until he finds and puts him on his shoulders and carries it back. And he says to all of his friends, rejoice with me. Jesus said there's rejoicing in the presence of angels in heaven over one sinner that repents. The woman who loses a coin, she sweeps the house out, takes out the furniture, gets a lamp, searches and searches until she finds it. When she finds it, she says to all of her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me. And the father's saying to the elder, come on, rejoice with me. He was dead, and now he's alive. Wow. You see, the father is loving the son from the front porch, but he loves the other son from the back porch. And he's wanting them to be reconciled. It's beautiful, isn't it? Who do you identify with today? I think all of us at some point will identify with the younger when we've all came to the end of ourselves and repentance and faith have come back to God. But some of us might also resonate with the older. And there's resentment and anger and criticism and judgmentalism that's crept into us. And one of the ways you know whether and where you're at is about your joy. Amen. Because when there's no joy in your worship, and there's no joy in Jesus, and there's no joy among God's people, and when there's no joy in the work of God, and when it becomes all about you and what you like and your preferences and what you think, you've made it about you and not about him. God is at work in this world. But there's a tension in this story. And here's the tension. The younger son's restored. But the story doesn't tell us whether the older son gets restored. He's just on the back porch. Does he go in and rejoice? Does he go back and be reconciled with his father and his brother? Does he join all of the servants and eat the blessedness of the fatted calf and dance and make merry in his heart because of this great and glorious thing? Or does he slink off the back porch and sulk, refusing to rejoice? You see, there's only one way back to home. And it's true for the older or the younger. Amen. And it's true for the one that leaves home or stays home. The only way back to the Father is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Amen. Christ died for your sins yes, 
and my sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. I'm a sinner and I need saved by grace. And I can't save myself and I earn, I owe I have not earned one stitch of my standing with the Father. It's all grace. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah, you can be saved. Saved from yourself. Saved from your own misunderstanding of self-salvation. That you don't need to be saved. You don't need to be restored. That you've been good. You didn't leave home. But your heart tells you a different story. Because it's empty. And it's bankrupt. And it's famished. You see, the way of the cross leads home. There's no other way but this. And the only way is to trust him in his work for us. That Christ bore our sins and he paid for them in full. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not as a result of works, lest any man boast. Takeaways for today as praise team's coming. Number one, no matter how far you've gone or what you've done, His love and grace is greater than your sin. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, His grace is greater than your sin. Number two, God rejoices in restoration. There's rejoicing, not just with the angels, in the presence of angels. The Father himself is rejoicing when one comes home. Number three, the question is, do you have joy in God's work? Why not? Who robbed your joy? Number four, why is there no joy? When your, father, when your heart's wedded to the Father, there'll be joy in your heart. And number five, is your heart in alignment with the Father's heart? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home, come home. Earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Jesus is the way home.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us with an everlasting love in Christ. Father, I pray that today that we might see in this story our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. Lord, help us to understand that we can't love you and hate our brother. We can't be right with you. And pretend that we are. And not have joy in the work that you're doing. So, Father, today convict us. If there's one here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today they'd come to themselves and turn and repent, be restored. Father, maybe there's someone here, their attitude and disposition and self-righteousness has impeded them from repentance and restoration. I pray that, God, we would come home to you. Father, may we pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I made a mess of my life. Dear God, I'm coming home to you. I have no excuse. I'm not worthy to be even a son. But Lord, I'm coming home to you. And I'm trusting that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And he paid for it in full. And that he rose again. And that I could have real life, abundant life through him. I trust you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.